Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the second morning service of Sunday the 19th of February 2012, entitled The Horsemen of Triumph. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, amen. Great to see you this morning. You glad to be here? Say amen. Amen. I am too. Let's get right to the message. I know there's some people that have to catch a train or a bus, and so I'm going to preach fast, and you got to listen fast, all right? So I promise I'm going to get through this. Uh, Revelation chapter number 19, look at verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. We've been looking this morning before you got here, some of you that weren't able to make it for Sunday school, some of you were here. Let me go ahead and give you a brief overview of what we studied. We studied about the horsemen of tribulation. There's four of them. Revelation chapter number 6. If you look at the brief overview of the book of Revelation, it's broken down into three parts, the past, present, and the future. Revelation 1.19 says, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So you got past, present, future. Past tense, or the things which thou hast seen, is Revelation chapter number 1, verses 9 through 20. That is the revealing of Christ. By the way, Revelation, the book of Revelation, is not the revealing of St. John the Divine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so if your Bible says that, it ain't, it ain't blasphemy to mark through that and just write Jesus Christ underneath it, okay? But it's the revealing of our Savior. Now, Revelation chapter numbers 2 and 3, whole chapter 2 and 3 is the things which thou hast seen, the things which are. That's the present tense. The things which are is the letters to the church in Asia, Asia Minor, those seven churches, Ephesus, Sardis, Excuse me, Smyrna, uh, uh, Pergamos, Thyatira, Philadelphia, uh, Sardis. Uh, yeah, I forgot one. Laodicea. Did I say Sardis? Well, there's seven of them. You know which ones they are. All right. I'm trying to go as fast as I can. But that's the things which are. Things which shall be hereafter is that tough, difficult part of the book of Revelation that we don't want to read. Revelation chapter number 4 through the end of the book is when the church is raptured out of here. In chapter number 5, you got the church rewarded where we receive crowns to give them back to Jesus. Amen? But then in chapter number 6, we start that difficult part of the book of Revelation that is the tribulation period or the judgments or the wrath of God poured out upon His, poured out upon his earth. Now, the difficult thing to reconcile in all of this is how can we... How can we literally read this and think that God, who is love, could do this? Now, listen, we have to accept Jesus Christ not only as Savior, but as Sovereign. We have to accept God as not only the Lamb, but the Lion. He's got a lamb-like disposition, but He's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He came as a little baby, but He's coming back as the judge of this world. Amen? And He has to judge unrighteousness. He has to judge sin. Because listen, folks, as Pastor Larry so eloquently put it before, he can't let one sin into heaven. So it has to be judged. Revelation chapter number 6 starts and the Lamb opened the seals. There were four horsemen that were mentioned. First one was on a white horse. He's a deceiver. He's the one that's coming as an imitator of Christ. Guess what? There have been many to do that, but there's only one Lamb. There's only one Lily of the Valleys. There's only one bright morning star. There's only one Christ. There will come one in opposition to him called the Antichrist. This is him, but he's, he's, listen, he's characterized in four different personages, Brother Chris. The first one's on a white horse, a deceiver. Second one's on a red horse, Carl. He's called a destroyer. The third one's on a black horse. He's called dearth, or another word for famine. 
And then there's a rider on the fourth horse. It's a pale or greenish colored horse, Brother Steve, and that is the death rider who will take after the fact that one-third of the world had been uh, smitten. There's one-fourth of what's left smitten. Now, by the way, that is the Antichrist that does that. Now, all of this is on God's prophetic calendar, and you look at chapter number 6, and you go all the way through there, and it talks about the trumpet judgments. And, and I don't have time to go into that, but there'll be, uh, it'll, be, it'll be terrible. And, and they've got the vile judgments, which is basically at the end of the tribulation, and all Hades is going to break loose on the earth. Now, you come to chapter number 19, and thank God there is some encouragement. Amen? Thank God we've got not only, listen, we've seen death, we've seen deceiver, we've seen destroyer, we've seen dearth, but I want to speak to you for just a few moments on the deliverer. The deliverer. Look at verse number, chapter number 19, verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. Said his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written, and no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God." And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Ladies and gentlemen, today I want to give to you a lovely picture of the one that's going to deliver us. Listen, he came as a baby, but he wasn't going to stay in the crib. Thank God he's sitting on the throne today and he's making intercession for the saints. Thank God he went to Golgotha's hill. Thank God he hung on Calvary so we could go to heaven by two pieces of wood and three nails. God built a bridge to heaven. Amen? Thank God we have a Savior. We have a Deliverer. Listen, he's prophesied all the way back in Isaiah chapter number 7 verse 14. And the Lord said unto him, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that the, uh, the, the, the New Testament in the, in the Gospels says, which being interpreted means to him, God with us. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word, Steve, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here we go, folks. You've got right there both the Savior in His grace, and the sovereign in His truth. You've got, listen, you've got the great advocate, the judge, but you've also got the Lamb of God, which took away the sin of the world. Aren't you glad that we are not left to our own demise? Aren't you glad that we don't have to figure out how we can get to heaven? All we've got to do is trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen? So number one, listen, I want you to see in Revelation 19, 11 and, and, and following, I want you to see a few characteristics about this rider on the white horse, which I'm going to call Deliverer. How many of you in this room, uh, I don't know if colleges do this, like we call it high school in America. You've got junior high, which is about 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, and then you've got senior high, which is 10th, 11th, and 12th. I think y'all call that college, okay? And then you go to university, but see, a lot of times in a college environment at the end where you graduate, you have a yearbook. 
where all the pictures of the graduates and all the underclassmen are put in there, but the upperclassmen, the senior class, is honored with what they call superlatives, Pastor. You say, what are superlatives? Well, give you an example. When you graduate, they always give these superlatives, and some of them are like this, most likely to succeed, uh, most athletic, funniest or wittiest, most likely to go to jail. I got that one. Amen. Best dressed. And you get these superlatives and everybody goes, my, boy, I'm impressed. Can I say this? We read in Revelation chapter number 19, Malcolm, these are, these are the superlatives of our Savior. It says in verse number 11, he was on a white horse. And he's called what? Faithful and true. Can I say this? There's a lot of people that might tell you an untruth by mistake. There's a lot of people that lie right to your face and not even bat an eye. But can I tell you this? There is one that is always going to be faithful. There's one that will always be true because God, Titus chapter 1 verse 2, who cannot lie? God can't lie. And when He says it, you can take it to the bank because He's faithful and true. The next verse, look at the next verse. The next verse says, chapter number 19, look at verse number 12. It says... His eyes were as a flame of fire. It didn't say they were flames of fire. It says they were as a flame of fire. Do you know what you're going to be judged by when you get to heaven? Can I say this? There's going to be a book which is open, which is called the book of life, but you're going to stand and give an account based upon this book too of what you know and how you obey. We read the verse, and I'll go full circle from where I started Sunday morning. Jesus said this, If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now you know what I found out? When I know something and I don't do it, I'm pretty miserable. But when I obey what mom and dad say, you know what? It's going to be a whole lot easier on me. It's going to be a whole lot more enjoyable at the dinner table when I obey. If, if I don't obey, listen to me kids, when I don't obey, my daddy, listen, we went to the outhouse and guess what? There was bloodshed behind the woodshed. Amen? <laughs> if you know what I mean. And, and he, would, he would tear my rear end up, if I can say that, you know, without being sacrilegious, you know, irreverent. The Bible says, without no chastening, if you don't have chastening of God, you are of all people. You're an illegitimate child. That means, you know what? You're not one of His children. If you're not being chastened because of your sin, listen, the Holy Spirit of God don't abide in you because the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you to reprove you of sin. Listen to this. Righteousness and judgment. You know what the problem of most people that I preach to in churches that sit there for 50 years and got themselves fooled into believing something they're not? The biggest problem they got is getting over that thing called righteousness. Self-righteousness. You know what the Holy Spirit really came to do? He came to reprove the world of sin, number one, and righteousness, self-righteousness. Well, look what I've done. I've got to go to heaven. My daddy was raised in that church. He built that church. He was a deacon in that church, and I'm his son, so I'm going to go to heaven because of what he did. No, you don't go to heaven by proxy. You don't go to heaven on your daddy or mama's co uh, cur uh, <laughs> coattail. You don't. You've got to make a conscious decision that Jesus Christ is your Lord, not just your daddy's Lord. 
So he, listen, first of all, I want you to see this. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written and no man knew him himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. Clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. You say, preacher, why is it in blood? Because we talked about that a little bit this morning, young people. You know what's going to happen at the end? In that great battle, World War I, Battle of Armageddon, it says he's coming back, Pastor, and he will not smite the nations, Isaiah chapter number 11, verse 4, with a warhead or any other weapon. He'll use the breadth of his lips, and because of that, it says he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. When he speaks the word, and those armies which come against Israel are slain, it says that the blood's going to run as high as a horse's bridle for 216 miles from Dan to Beersheba. And you know what? That's a pretty thick thing. It says that's why his vesture is dipped in blood. You say, you, don't, you know what, preacher? That don't sound like little Jesus we heard about in Bethlehem. No, it ain't him. He's not the lamb now. He's the lion. He's the judge. And do you know what, young people? You take a quick study of what an advocate is or what a judge does, and Jesus Christ is mentioned four times in the New Testament that God himself will make Jesus Christ the judge of everything on this earth. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see his wardrobe. He's going to be clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. But number two, I want you to see his witnesses. Look at down at chapter number 19 and look at verse 14. His witnesses and the armies which were in heaven. The armies which were in heaven were what? Followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean. Now I want, to, I want you to listen to me. Yes, he was prophesied as Savior. Yes, he was prophesied as the Lamb before the foundation of the world. But can I say this? In Isaiah chapter number 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. One of these days, the desert's going to bloom with blossom. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. Spiders and snakes won't, 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 won't scare us to death because we'll have total dominion because we'll be in a glorified body on a new earth. And you know what, folks? Forever and ever and ever, not just that thousand years to him, we're going to be with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I don't know if that excites you. And I know, you know, man, I'm hungry. I want to eat. You know, it's time to go. I'm telling you, that excites me to know that I'm going to spend forever with my Savior. You know, the more you know about somebody, the more you ought to love them. The more you know. Now, a lot of times we let that backfire, don't we? The more we know about somebody, we go, oh, man, wow. Boy, God gave me that person to build patience in my life, you know. <laughs> now, some of you husbands don't look at your wives right there. All right, don't do that. Don't do that. You'll get, you'll get in trouble when you get home. Trust me. Hello. But you know what? We see right here, the, listen, his wardrobe, but not only that, but his witnesses. Listen, Jesus Christ, listen, don't need witnesses, but thank God He wants to choose us to be His witnesses. Amen? Jesus Christ is prophesied as having an army. But do you know what? I want you to notice something, folks. It says the armies followed Him upon white horses. Then look at the next verse. And out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword. Do you know that when you come back with Jesus Christ, He will not even use you in the war that will take place? His own army will be a spectator. You will sit by and watch as Jesus Christ don't even use His own army. Can you imagine that? Carl, you're going to be on a white horse 
and with the armies following Jesus Christ as he goes out and it says that he will smite the nations with the rod of iron. The same God that spoke everything into existence is the same one who's going to speak the very word and judgment will take place. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but this great deliverer, listen, Job, oldest book in the Bible, oldest book chronologically written, Job said in Job 19.25, I know who my, my, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand that latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Can you understand that everything, and I said this to the young people yesterday, everything in the Old Testament was saying, Jesus Christ is coming. The New Testament says He's here. Amen? Old Testament said He's coming. New Testament said He's here. John looked out through that crowd the day he was baptizing in Jordan and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Can I say this? Paul told the church in Philippi, You need to be like Christ and understand this. Let this mind be in you. You ought to act like Christ. You ought to be conspicuously like Christ because there is coming a day where God will highly exalt him and give him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Do you understand one day? Ahmadinejad, Saddam Hussein, Mussolini, Stalin, Hitler, every single person that's ever lifted themselves up to a place of prominence and thought they were somebody will bow their knee. Now you can either do it now or you will do it later. Every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in the earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to praise Him now? Because you can either bow your knee now or you'll bow it later. So we see the, listen, the warrior, that deliverer coming from heaven. He is God. He is the judge. And we see his wardrobe. We see his witnesses. Listen, folks, you have a privilege. You have a great privilege and a distinct honor to lead others to the one that loves them unconditionally. But yet many times we're afraid to do that because we're scared we will offend somebody. Or we're scared we will be mocked. Well, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for a family like Dino's family that, you know what, go among the Muslims. You don't see a whole lot of fruit when you go among the Muslims as a missionary. But thank God you do see a little bit. And you know what, one of these days, it ain't going to matter what kind of superlatives we have down here, Dino. One of these days, I believe I'm going to hear Jesus say, well done to your dad and your mom. Amen. It doesn't matter how much fruit we shake off the tree. It only matters that we lead people to Jesus. We're not the ones that yield the increase anyway. We are seed sowers. God is the one. Somebody else might even water. Do you know what my dad taught me when we used to garden, Romani? We used to have a, a large garden. Now, y'all's garden is your front yard. Our garden's where we plant crops, okay? Had a two-acre garden. Two acres. Tyler, we used to go in there, and I remember every spring, my dad would add on to it just a little bit more, and I'm like, man, Dad, we don't need no more. Well, it's enough. You know, I, was 10, I was 12 years old. I just didn't want to work that much more. You know what I'm saying? I said, Dad, we don't need to make it bigger. He said, oh, yeah, we do. We've got to put a couple more rows of corn in. See, if you don't understand about corn, if you only plant two rows, it won't cross hibernate. It won't hibernate. It won't cross pollinate. <laughs> it, won't cross, it won't cross pollinate. You've got to grow more than two rows. If you don't, you ain't going to have any. Your ears of corn are going to be like, you know, for hobbits. They're going to be about that big. 
You know, like them little bit, them little bit of corn. You know, little bit of corn, them corn ears, ears of corn in Chinese food. That makes me angry. Hey, couldn't they make them bigger? Just put a big one in there. Just boom, right on the, you know, on the top of all of that lo mein. Just boom, the big corn cob. I don't know where I get all this stuff, but y'all pray for me. I guess I'm hungry. But listen, I've got to move quick. Listen, what was I talking about? Huh? Oh, yeah, growing the garden. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Had a senior moment there. I got a photo photographic memory. It's just it hadn't developed yet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but listen, the garden, the garden where we'd grow the crops, before we would, we'd add on. We'd add on a little bit to it every year. And do you know what my dad would tell me to do? See, he wouldn't let me get the tiller or the, the, the thing that, that, that turns the ground over. He would say, Brian, I want your job to be go in that part of the garden that we're going to make extra. And he said, I want you to pick the stones out of it. Now, I'm going to tell you what I thought. I thought, that ain't very important. I've got to be the one to pick the stones out of, the, out of that piece of dirt so you can plow and you can plant. You know what, though? If I didn't pick the stones, he couldn't plow. So every job is important. Every job's important. You say, well, preacher, I don't do like pastor or somebody else. So like Steve, go out and preach on the streets. And I don't see many people come to Christ. But you know what? You might just be a stone picker. You might be one that just picks stones out of the part where somebody else can come in and plow up and then others plant. Somebody else waters. But thank God, he's the one. God's the one that yields the increase. That ought, to put a, that ought to put a smile on our face to know that we have a part in seeing others come to saving knowledge of Christ and spend eternity in heaven. Amen? We've got to, listen, this warrior, this great deliverer, he is, listen, we've seen his wardrobe, we've seen his witnesses, we've seen his weapon. But can I give you a lovely picture of what this whole chapter is about? This is about a wedding, Pastor. Look at chapter number 19 and verse 7 and I'll be done. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife hath made herself ready. Now I want y'all to listen to me and I'm done. Look at me. This great deliverer is at a... Listen, this is at a wedding feast. This is at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, this dispensation we call the church age started with a breakfast, but it'll end with a supper. Amen? It started with a breakfast, but it'll end with a supper. The marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, there's something intriguing about a wedding. And I've said this to the people at Bethel before, but you young people listen to this. Because you know what? One of you, you're going to meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, and you're going to get married. Okay? There, look at that cup. Don't they? Just beaming. Just beaming. They, they got engaged, right? Y'all been engaged now for how long? Two weeks? Amen. Look how happy they are. Ask them in a year. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing with Do you know what? You get engaged and then you get to that day where you're going to have the, the wedding and, and the ceremony. And you know, there's always an article in the local newspaper where we live of people that have gotten engaged and also the people that have been getting married. And when it's engagement time and they put the announcement in the paper, they'll put down everything in that paper about the, the, the bride. They'll be, listen... They're everything you could possibly imagine. All the characteristics, her genealogy, all the way back to Adam. It'll put down everything in that paper about who she is and what she has done. It'll talk about what the wedding dress is going to look like, what the bridesmaids' dresses are going to look like, what kind of flowers they're going to use. And after about three pages of an article about her, they got on the bottom, uh, by the way, so-and-so's the groom. And that's it. You want to know why? 
because that day is for that precious lady. It's for the bride. But see, in the wedding that we're getting ready to read about right here in Revelation 19, that wedding is not about the bride, it's about the groom. You know what, John, and, and I've got to finish with this. John the Baptist, I go full circle. You young people weren't here this week, but I go full circle to a message I preached more about Christ out of John chapter 3. Right before you get to the verse where he says, he, got, got, uh, John said, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Before that, he said, you know what? I want you to turn to John chapter 3 very quickly. I want to show you a verse and then I'm going to be done. This is an amazing verse. John chapter number 3 and look at verse number 29. John 3 and verse 29. It says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Well, duh. Okay? I mean, we understand that. That is not rocket science. It's not high math. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Okay? But look at this. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, is my, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Now look up at me. In the ancient Jewish economy, they arranged marriages. Aren't you glad you don't have to do that? They arranged marriages. In other words, the, the, the mother and father picked out who the girl or the guy was going to marry. All right, you got ready. You know what? Hey, some, some even do that today. Yes, I know. But listen, here's what would happen. When that day would come and the, the, and the couple was picked out, the bridegroom would go away to wherever he was going to build a location for them to live, whether it be an extension on his mom and dad's house, if it was away from the local uh, piece of property where he had grown up at, whatever it was, the bridegroom, the man of that relationship, would go away to prepare something for his bride. Now the friend of that bride, of that bridegroom, the friend of the groom would go past her over there periodically and see how he was coming along. And once he found out from the groom that everything was in place, you go let the bride know that it's time. He would go back to the bride and he was the one that would proclaim, you need to get ready, find your wedding dress. The groom has got your place prepared. Isn't that amazing? And how God relates the church and Christ as a husband and a wife, a marriage. Let me tell you something, folks. We have the privilege of being the bridegroom's friend. And to listen, right now, we're not married to Jesus. We're only engaged to Him. See, the Holy Spirit of God is the earnest of the inheritance, Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1. See, it's the earnest of the inheritance. And that earnest is the, listen, listen, the promise that God made to us that He would not leave us comfortless, but He was coming back to receive us. See, what you've got now is the engagement ring. The Holy Spirit of God is the engagement ring. One of these days, God's going to call us to heaven. We're going to stand in what we just read about, the wedding, and we're going to exchange the engagement ring for a wedding band. We're going to be married to God. See, we are the bride of Christ, but the wedding hasn't taken place yet. It will, though. Now, my question to you today is this. If the deliverer is coming, are we going to be the ones that go and gladly when we hear his voice to go and tell the, the bride, the groom's got everything prepared. He's coming. We talked this, listen, we've talked this week about what in the world's going on. I can tell you what's going to happen because it came all from here.
But you know what? I can't tell you what's going to happen to you. Only you and God can answer that. Are you ready? Are you ready? Songwriter said, Go ahead, mock my name. My love for you is still the same. Go ahead and bury me. But very soon I will be free. And it says, because I'll rise again. Not only says he's going to rise again, but it says he's going to come again. Because I'll come again. Ain't no power on earth can tie me down. Because I'll come again. Come to take my people home. The great deliverer. Are you ready to sing? I wonder this morning if you could say honestly, I'm ready, not a shadow without my mind, prepared for eternity. I can raise my hand right now. Not a shadow without my mind. Heads bowed, nobody looking around. You raised your hand, God bless you, you can put it down. If you're in this room and you don't know, could you just let me know that with an upraised hand? Say, preacher, I'm concerned about myself and I want you to pray for me. I don't want to spend eternity separated from God. And I want you to pray for me. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven, but I want to. Anybody like that? God bless you. Anybody else? All right. I've got one more question for you. We talked about the deceiver. Talked about destroyer. We talked about dearth and death. And I know that's very, very, very solemn and, so, and, 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 and discouraging. But thank God for the encouragement of the deliverer. Are you ready for that deliverer to come? We're going to talk tonight about preparation for departure. Are you prepared? I didn't ask if you were saved. Are you prepared to meet Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ? And is your life fireproof? Because it's going to be tested by fire. His eyes are a flame of fire. And He'll judge your works of what you've done after you've been saved. And are you going to receive crowns to ultimately cast them back at His feet? Father, in Jesus' name, I love you today. I pray that you'd speak to hearts. God, in this invitation time, do only that which you can do, and that's heart work. And I'll love you and praise you. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.